Hi, it's Shelley Flett, and I'm so excited that you're joining me to listen to the Dynamic Leader podcast. The podcast is centered around my book, The Dynamic Leader, and includes reading of the chapters, along with interviews with leaders in a number of different industries. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to get yourself a copy of The Dynamic Leader, either online through booktopia.com or at any good bookstore. I'm passionate about creating the next generation of dynamic leaders and sharing tools and experiences that can completely transform an individual, a team, or a whole organization. I ask that you listen with curiosity and be open to taking on different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to the final episode of this uh, series. So um, for the Dynamic Leader podcast, um, I'm a little bit uh, a little bit sad, but a little bit excited that um, we've got through it and we've come to the end of the book and we've spoken to so many, so many amazing uh, leaders and heard so many different insights. And I thought it fitting to have the last guest on um, the podcast as the person who actually published my book. So we've got Leslie Williams from Major Street Publishing joining us today to share a little bit about her leadership journey. Thanks for joining us, Leslie. You're welcome. Great to have you um, and your expertise uh, on board. So um, so tell us to, to kick off, tell us a little bit about, you know, what was your, what was your leadership journey through your career? Um, I guess um, I sort of look at my leadership journey through the people who led me, sort of the kind of the mentors that I had. So my first, after I trained as an editor, um, I started working for my father's company in the 1990s, and that was a startup publishing company um, in 1990. Um, and my dad just basically just used to throw things at me. So he would just sort of, I first of all started doing the editing. Um, and then I had to recruit new editors and then I had to train new editors. And then I remember the really scary part was when GST was being introduced and he said to me, oh, I'm too old to work out how we're compliant with GST. You'll have to do that. <laughs> so I suddenly had to learn all the bookkeeping, all the GST compliance, um, which actually was really, really helpful. So I suppose um, even as a leader now, I think I do kind of just chuck things at people, uh, you know, and they catch this and if they, but obviously give them all the support they need, but just try and, and build people to do better when they think they can't. So he was my first real leader and I learned a lot from him. And then um, we sold that publishing company to Wiley. Um, and my next boss, the CEO of Wiley, was very similar. Like, I remember he, I started off as the publisher on the right books list and then um, the For Dummies publisher resigned, so they gave me that job. And then I remember he called me one day and um, I was actually going through quite a difficult time personally because my marriage was breaking up and I had to reduce my working hours. And I had a meeting with him and he said, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to replace the GM and I think you can be the new GM. And I said, Peter, you know, I'm going through a lot at the moment and um, I don't know. He said, you'll be fine. You know, you'll be fine. And I was, you know, I just had to get up earlier, pack, you know, 30 out, 40 hours into 25. And, um, and again, he just threw it at me and picked it up and kept running. So um, they're the leaders that I've had. And I feel that as a leader, I do kind of adopt that. 
So there's a, there's a huge um, component of, of trust that's required to kind of go in almost a two-way trust, which is yeah. um, they trust me enough for me to just pick things up and run with it when they, when they throw them over. But also yeah. um, I would imagine a trust of you um, to believe that you can, you can get through it and you can do it and that they, that they know that. Cause sometimes we, can see that people are capable of things that they can't see that they're capable of themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Look, I'd say also uh, at the risk of generalising that women are very much um, need their leaders to trust them and to keep pushing them up because, you know, just going back to the, um, you know, uh, when you talk to the, your staff, the boys will always say, oh, yeah, I can do that. And the girls will always say, can I do that? And I think a good leader is the one who pushes them or just encourages them, just lifts them. Of course, you can do that. Let's try this. You can try that. Mm. As a leader yourself, have you ever thought, you know, with that approach, um, gosh, I actually am not sure if this person can do this. Like I think they have, but I'm not sure if they've got the belief in themselves to be able to push through. Have you ever had those moments where you, you've sort of hesitated a little bit? Uh, I don't I'd, I'd say no without thinking about it for too long because once I make a decision, it's the right decision because mm. you make it work. And if it if it if they are floundering a bit, then you'd probably change that role or offer them more support. But I think it goes back to my decision making as a leader. You make that decision and you own it. I love that, and I think it's really important that um, leaders do make decisions. And I think sometimes we can get a little bit um, confused or. Um, distracted by um, making a decision and that coming across as being a dictatorship. I think that some leaders get a little bit nervous around, well, I don't want to be a dictator, so I'm not going to make any decisions. Have you yeah. seen any of that happening? Sometimes I think you just have to make that decision. Um, yeah, obviously, before you make a decision, you'll have buy-in from as many people as possible. Um, discussions one-on-one -on -one and group discussions but there's always going to be people who aren't going to particularly like your decision and I think you just have again you just have to own it if you think it's the right decision make it the right decision so tell me was it your um was it your 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 leader at the time that um pushed you to leave Wiley and start up your own business or tell us the tell us this the... no it wasn't quite as simple as that so my leader my CEO was resigning and I've been in the role at Wiley for seven years. I've been with Wiley for seven years and I actually just saw a job um, advertised for a, a CEO's role. And I thought, oh, I might just go for that. I think the thing that got me was it said would suit general manager and I was in a general manager position. So um, I went for the job just thinking, you know, whatever. It was the first job I'd applied for in like 20 years or something, 15 years. Um, and the recruitment agency lady was really helpful. And again, she saw me as that person in that role. And she said, yeah, you're the one for this role. And she kind of trained me, rewrote my CEO, coached me for the interview. Um, and I did get that role. So I moved from business publishing briefly into children's book publishing. Um, that didn't work out. So that was a decision that I owned, which didn't work out. But it led me to start my own decision, my own business. Um, and yeah, it's been with Major Street for 10 years, 10 years now. Um, yeah, and I've loved it. I've loved it. Yeah. And so back at the, the helm, you've still got the CEO role. It's just in a, you, you, your yeah. books are, and for our viewers, your books are really around business, aren't they? Yeah. So um, 
business was never really my first love. I did an arts degree and did languages and um, arts at university. So it was never really something that interested me. But when I was working with dad in the business, um, I liked that. I liked managing people. Um, I liked the whole mechanics of business. Um, and the books that we publish have really helped me on my own leadership journey. So I always learn something from the books that, that we publish. Yeah. So if you were to, if you were to ballpark how many books you've read in your life, what would we be talking? Oh, I don't know. I, oh, probably, well, if we publish, say, if you average, you publish 20 a year and you'll probably read 40 to get to that 20. Um, and then I read avidly as well at home. Um, I'm, like, I'm basically always reading, so I read novels as well, so I love novels. Um, so I don't know, how many would you say? <laughs> so you'd be, you'd be averaging a lot, like a lot. 50 a year? Probably 50 a year, I'd say, yeah, 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 yeah. O over the 21 years of your life so far? <laughs> <laughs> So that's a that's a whole yeah. lot of that's a whole lot of books. Yeah, year, yeah. Mm. Um, and still and still loves it. And I I think you know yeah. that's that's what I love about um, leaders is when a leader's passionate about what they do. It it just is so simple. Everything around them yeah. kind of it falls into place. Um, you own your space. You you let everyone own their space, um, yeah. and you just get along. Yeah, and, and you know, I say this every time, every time we get a new book published on my desk, I still get a little flutter of excitement. I absolutely love it because I've seen it from like planning it with the author, you know, the raw manuscript all the way through production, the whole cover and design. And then when it actually comes out and you can feel it, I still get a buzz from that. Yeah, so I can tell you, I, as, a, as being at the other end of that, it's a, definitely a buzz on my end as well yeah. <laughs> through that process. <laughs> Um, so given, you know, given how many books around leadership and, you know, business in general and management, um, what are you seeing as the, the, the changes that we're going through in the workplace in terms of leadership? So leadership will no doubt have come a long way since you were working with your dad. Yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you sort of seeing as the future trends for leadership? Well, this year, I think they've just been uncovered, haven't they? It's just, <laughs> nothing's hidden this year. So uh, virtual leadership, obviously, is a big thing. So with Major Street, I don't have huge staff, but I manage a lot of freelancers, which is, so the way that I manage, have always managed my team, is the way that many in-house leaders are now managing their team. It's as if they're working with freelancers, they're at home, you know, they don't see them every minute of the day. So those sort of skills, again, that goes back to trust as well, Shelley, doesn't it? That you trust the people are doing the right thing. You can't micromanage them, um, but you still have to check in more often, I think, and offer them support. Uh, so that's one thing uh, that leadership has changed vastly. Uh, the other thing is that the new generation of people who you're leading, and I, I have children in their late 20s, um, and they're kind of a bit more high maintenance, you know. <laughs> what are you going to, what are, what are they going to give to me? You know, it's not just about the salary package. It's about the, the breaks, the um, support they get, the training they're going to get. What sort of teams are they going to be put in? So, again, I think um, there's a lot more responsibility on a leader to actually find out what their employees want rather than telling them what they're going to get. Mm. 
and do you see um do you see even given the the current environment and the complete disruption that we've had since march this year do you see that um employees will still be will still continue to look for what suits uh the lifestyle that they kind of see themselves as having you know that balance that the growth the development the investment the the support do you see that as still being something that employees are going to be looking for i think so i think so just judging from my own personal responsibility i mean if you're looking even if you you're out of work and you're looking for a job you're just not i don't think they're just going to take anything you know they're not they're just not they're just not programmed to just take anything they'd rather you know just do a well if they could get a hospitality job or a part-time job rather than sell their soul for a job they absolutely hate yeah and why can they do that is it because they're still living at home with their parents or have they just learned to live more simpler lifestyles i just think they've got they've got a bit more purpose they they know what they want uh, I don't know, they're just more in, maybe they're, in fact, they're not independent earlier because they do live at home for a lot longer. Um, but they, it's just been ingrained for them that they've got choices. Like, I think that's what it is. They, they expect to get a choice. They've always been given choices. Even, you know, when you're parenting, like we were told what to do when we were children, whereas we asked their children which they would prefer to do. <laughs> and that goes all through education. I mean, I could be wrong, this is my experience. But, um, but yeah, they, they expect to be given choices. And so when they enter the workforce, and I think this is really valid for any leader who's listening, is that as the younger generation start to, or as the you know gen, uh, late millennials and early Gen Zs start to yeah. come through the workforce, which we're seeing now, um, the, when they start to make up the majority, then leaders really won't have a choice but to go, well, I need to be considerate of what you want. I need to ask. I need to give you options. I need to give you choice. Yeah. Yeah. But in return, you're getting all the knowledge that they have and the experiences that you haven't got. You can learn so much from from every generation. And you can't just rule out the youngest generation coming to the workforce as being stupid because they're they're actually not. You can learn from every employee that you you work with, you can learn something. Mm. I I totally agree with that. I've got a 12-year-old. He's my eldest. And he... Mm is uh, he's he's got an amazing way of thinking about things and yeah. you know sometimes he'll say something like der mum this is so obvious but i'll yeah. say but it's not tell me more <laughs> tell me more about that um and then sometimes you know i'll say something and he'll look at me like i've spoken a different language so what is yeah. it that you're talking <laughs> what is this thing you call <laughs> work-life balance isn't that just life um <laughs> And I say, what are you going to do when when you get older? What job are you going to have? And he says, I'm just going to get a job at McDonald's. Um, And, you know, kind of says, well, and then what? Well, then what do you mean what? I'll have the money to do the things that I want to do. (laughs) And get some free McDonald's too. (laughs) Some free McDonald's. Yeah. So really simplistic. Do you think, um, do you think, because it'll be interesting to see what, you know, your your kids being in in their 20s, what they will then how priorities change through their life and of course what the pandemic has done mm-hmm. um, to changing how they view the workplace do you think there's any changes that they will realize um i think they are really realizing they have to be self-sufficient um both my kids 
um, maybe it's just because it's kind of part of our family DNA, are quite entrepreneurial. And so they, one of my um, kids does actually work for herself and the other has just got a new job actually with ANZ Bank, but he's thinking that he'll do corporate for a few years and then maybe uh, work for himself. So this whole kind of sort of side hustle thing, I've got to be responsible to some extent for my own career, I think that generation um, believe in that a lot more than our generation did. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think, and you know, uh, in America, they refer that to refer to that as the gig economy. And I know the gig economy yeah. made up some ridiculous amount, like 60% of the, the workforce was yeah. in the gig economy. Um, yeah. And we're seeing similar trends over here. Um, yeah. Even, even in spite of the pandemic and what's, what's happening now, I think with every um, with every bad situation, there's always good that comes out of it. And I think people, mm. I think it's getting people thinking. Yeah, yeah. Are you finding? Because um, one of the uh, one of the suggestions when we went into lockdown here in Melbourne was, you know, write a book, write that book that you were <laughs> always thinking. Have you been uh, bombarded with people saying, "I'm writing a book now"? Or <laughs> well, I don't think so because um, at first everybody thought, "Oh, great time to write," but people are actually quite busy. Yeah, because they're, they're pivoting their um, business online. They're doing a lot more pro bono work just to keep their, you know, keep visible in their community. Um, and even though they've cut out commute times and things like that, it's still all your, you know, you've lost, you lost your cleaner, you've lost your gardener, you've got your kids to worry about or your aging parents. So I don't see having an awful lot of extra time on my hands. Weekends, yeah. Mm. Um, but actually in the working week, people I speak to aren't sort of sitting around thinking I've got time to write a book Mm. I don't know what do you think I agree (laughs) in saying that I am writing at the moment but um, I find that I do that when I'm busiest anyway um, yeah it allows the ideas to flow Um, yeah yeah Mm -hmm. definitely not and I've I've heard I'd love to get your thoughts on this is you know what what is if someone was thinking about writing a book and this kind of goes a little bit off topic from leadership but it's Mm -hmm. really interesting um how do what's your uh, experience of the different ways that people do that because I remember talking to a lady who says oh I hire a a hotel for four days I lock myself in there and then you know I I work 24 hours a day for for four days and I smash out my manuscript and I look at that and go that looks like torture and completely uninspiring and definitely not how I did it yeah what are the different ways that people do that that's one way, um, and that's a, a really confident author who is working in that with that content all the time. Probably, you know, yeah. And I have a couple of authors who've done that. They lock themselves away for a couple of weeks, smash it out. Um, they're quite fluent writers. They find writing easy as well. Um, so that's one way of doing it. The way that you did it is the way that I would have done it. I would have, um, I would put aside a couple of hours a day, um, three days a week or four days a week, probably in the early hours. <laughs> remember you were doing it really early cool. and that's how I would do it yeah and I would get into that and I would uh, I would write it over two or three months like three three days a week early couple of hours um, other people take a Sunday afternoon and a, and a Wednesday afternoon out of work kind of thing mm. um, and some people do the late night thing I don't know how you do the late night thing but some people do so it's all very different um, I think the authors that work that have a plan and schedule it are the authors that get the book written. Um, mm. There's an author at the moment who's floundering. He started off like with the Sunday afternoon 
and it's coming into spring. He hasn't got the Sunday afternoons anymore. He's out of lockdown because he's in New South Wales. So, yeah, there are different ways. It's different strokes for different folks. But yeah, it, it has to be on your schedule if you're going to write a book. Yeah, I like that. And I like, you know, the having a plan. I think if you don't have a plan and a, and a timeline, because um, I think with the dynamic leader, I floundered for a good 12 to 18 months before I came to you. And I was quite frustrated when I, when I came to you, I was like, yeah. sick, of, sick of talking about writing this thing. It just needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and then, and then we just, you know, pick a day and then work, work backwards. Um, yeah. And then I was like, all right, well, what does that mean in terms of what I've got to write? Um, yep. And it helped me to find the discipline. So I love the plan. I think the plan is really important. Yeah, mm. yeah excellent. Um, and so thinking about, um, you know, what's, what's um, I guess, topical in the business world um, around writing, what, what are you seeing um, outside of the virtual? Do you think the virtual kind of environment is going to be um, – just a, a moment in time before we move on or do you think the virtual environment is something that will stay i think the virtual environment is something that a lot of people are going to want to keep going with especially if they're doing the commute into the city they won't want to do it every day um, and they can argue that they're fine working from home so i think there will, there will be that virtual a lot of that mm. um i think the books that i'm getting um put to me at the moment a lot of them are around mindset and and men mental health getting your head straight uh, because I think this year has really challenged people mentally so there's a lot of that and and a lot more you know things about empathy and support uh, and I think we've been good at that this year as well I think um, the leaders and employees and everybody has actually showed a, a more caring side maybe I'm just lucky to be in those sorts of communities but but um, yeah, I have seen a lot of that. People sort of just checking in to see that you're okay. Mm. Um, yeah, that kind of leadership. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, I've seen a mixture. So I've seen you know leaders who uh, have at, at one extreme have taken on way too much, and they're they're overcompensating or they're over responsible for the the work and the responsibilities of their team, and so. Um, very early on, they were headed for burnout. And I think some of them even did burnout yeah, um, yeah. because of that. It was, yeah, just really overcompensating. Um, and a lot of leaders went back into the doing as opposed to empowering and leading. Um, and then yeah, at, the, yeah. at the very other end, um, and I wrote a blog on this because it was, because I'd heard it, I'd heard it four times in a matter of weeks and then I got really frustrated by it but mm -hmm. um and they're not leaders they're employers who um who said you should just be grateful that you've got a job at all um yeah which makes me cringe um, <laughs> and makes me think you know right back to when I first joined the workforce in the um in the mid-90s to just thinking gosh you've come such a long way from yeah. that yeah, I can't believe that that's something. But you know, it's it's looking at what makes someone actually say that to their staff, and what kind yeah. of stress and pressure they're under. Yeah, um, and you know that mental health and mindset and being able to look after yourself, I think, mm -hmm. is probably missing, and so they're they're sacrificing yeah. whatever. I think um, I follow quite a few good leaders on um, LinkedIn, um, and one thing that I've tried to keep front of mind this year is. Uh, the three-year horizon so 
work towards where you're going to be in three years' time, and all this will be a blip. It's a, you know what I think about it? It's a bit like pregnancy, when you think, oh, that's the longest nine months. But when you look back, they're laughing. When you look back and your kid's 13, that was just nothing. It just yeah. blew, didn't it? But during the time, <laughs> so yeah, look towards, look, look ahead. <laughs> it's so funny that you use that metaphor because I was talking to a male last week and a guy and I said, do you know what? This, this lock, so particularly stage four lockdown mm. for us yeah. is, is a little bit like pregnancy. It's a little bit like the... Um, you know, you get the, you get the moments where you're like, I'm feeling good. This is fine. You know, I've yeah. got this under control. And then, and then morning sickness or, or nausea, yeah. the nausea, uh, you know, sets in and you don't know how long it's going to be there for. And you don't know how long you're going to be feeling like crap. <laughs> um, but, and it might be for a long time, but it's kind of being able to pick yourself up and go. And so I said yeah. to this guy, I was like, so, so those lows, that that's what morning sickness feels like. That's what the, yeah. I just, I can't stop this. I can't get out of it. It's, I just need to sit with it and feel like crap for a while. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a lot to be said for that analogy. It just frightens me what the end's going to be like, the giving birth. Yeah. <laughs> when we come, come out of COVID, I hope it's not that scary. Well, and even looking forward to, um, you know, it, the three years is fine. That's when we start to like our children or at least yeah. when, they, when they stop being so dependent. Yeah. Um, but it's the, it's the 10 years, it's the 30s it's when it's when this pandemic, um, you know, reaches adolescence. And... Yeah. Now that does frighten me actually, you know, how, for how long, uh, we're going to be paying for all of this. Yeah. 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 yeah mm. That's right. Um, it's a very interesting environment. Um, yeah. So tell me what was the, um, outside of, you know, trust and, um, you know, being, being able to make decisions. What was, um, what was one of the biggest either challenges or epiphanies that you had as a leader throughout your career? Um, I think uh, one thing that I've always tried to do, and again, I really got this from my dad, um, was that you just have to be nice to people, be the nicest person that you can and treat them as you want to be treated. And I remember he said to me once, because I've made an awful mistake, I don't know, and in those days it, was, it wasn't so, it wasn't like you're doing it on a word process, you, you know, you could just change it, it was like a big mistake. And he didn't even get angry, and I said, oh my God, you should be so angry with me. And he said, no one ever responds to being told off as me, which is true. No one ever, if you get told off, you just go back in your box, don't you? You don't think, oh, right, okay, I've been told off, got to do better. You don't do that. So I tried to do that when I lead have led my staff is you know we all make mistakes um we can fix them up we can learn from them um and just treat people as you like to be treated great so you never had a moment where you've where you've told someone off just as a do we learn that from our parents i find telling off really easy <laughs> yeah um i don't think i do tell tell them i try and really try not to tell people off it doesn't really achieve anything I remember once I was working with a, a team um, of women who were being bitchy to each other, you know, and I really couldn't, and it was really affecting the way they work. And I called them all in and then I did just tell them off, you know, I just because they were acting like children. And I just sort of said, this behavior is just childish. I'm not going to tolerate it. You just got to stop. So I said something like you're acting like a pack of bitches and I'm not going to tolerate it. Um, and that's, that's one time I can remember being really angry um, because of, of their behaviour. They were really hurting each other and hurting the work. Mm. Um, but generally, I don't think you achieve much by telling people off. Mm. 
Yeah, it definitely sounds like a scenario where that would be warranted is where yeah. And yeah. I think um, you know one of the one of the concepts that I um, enjoy playing around with in the leadership space is this behavioural flexibility and being able mm. to um, adapt into whatever behaviour the situation calls for. So, yeah. um, but I like the words of your dad around you know, no one responds to to being told off. I think yeah. that's really really important. Yeah, that's that stuck with me for a long long time. Yeah, wise man. Yeah, <laughs> he told us off when we were kids. Don't worry, <laughs> but when we worked with him, he did it. <laughs> oh, how wonderful! That's great. And so being able to to adapt, even is even yeah, 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 mm. yeah. Um, do you see a lot of similarities between parenting and leadership? It's a metaphor that I know I use quite a lot. Yeah, we've just done a book by um, Wendy Bourne called Raising Leaders, and she applies. Uh, you know, she works on that analogy that, you know, and it's absolutely a fascinating book. So, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot, um, a, a lot of similarities between raising your team and raising your family. So, yeah, I'd recommend that book to anybody. It's great. Excellent. So on the on the topic of, of books that are coming out, I know there's a lot of leadership books out there. Um, but for anyone who who liked the dynamic leader and enjoyed it, what's a what's a what's another book? Because I love to just consume leadership books. Um, but what have you got um, in space that you think, yeah, this this would actually be a really good. We did a great book about culture by Fiona Robertson this year. So that's called um, The Rules of Belonging, and I really liked that. It was about you know when you go into a new job, you look around to see what everyone else is doing, and then you fit in. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't realise that you're doing it, but you do. So, you, so as an employer, you've got to make sure that what everybody is doing what is what you want the new people to do. So that was a really good book, Rules of Belonging, Fiona Robertson. Um, and then we did a book called Flawson by Georgia Merch, which I absolutely adore. So it's not really a true business book, but it's just about embracing your flaws. You, know, you don't have to be perfect. Just show the real you and people respond to that. And that, that, that resonated a lot with me. So they're two great books. And does she, does she talk about how to do that as a leader? So how to, because I think it's a, I mean, it's an awesome topic because um, mm-hmm. I think as leaders, we, we try to, we try to fit in and conform and we lose a little bit of who our true selves are. Does she talk through how we get back to that? Yeah, absolutely. She's just very, it's very much about being yourself and being transparent and, um, yeah, and, and not being a different you at work from a different you at home. Mm. It's just all you. And people recognise if you're faking it. So, yeah, she does cover that a lot. Yep. That's fabulous. So two books for every everyone listening. Um, yep. Rules of Belonging by Wendy Bourne and then Flaws. So, so, no, Rules of Belonging oh, by sorry. Fiona Robertson. Fiona Robertson. And, and uh, Georgia Merch did Flawson. And Raising Leaders was Wendy Bourne. Right, so we've got three that um, yeah. three good books. I might actually uh, put those in the comments and link them to to the site because I think you yeah. know I talk to people about leaderships always. It's an ongoing journey. It's something that we need to just just pick up, just keep continue to pick up um, books and lessons and ideas and playing with things and you know finding what works for you and then not expecting that what works for you today will continue to work for you in ten years. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. is we've all got to stay fresh. Um, yeah. Do you, so I've, I've got, you know, just one more question about leadership and this is talking about books that we've referred to. So one of the, the most well-known leadership books that, that I've ever heard of is The Seven Habits by Stephen Covey. Yeah. 
does that still like is that a timeless book do you think everybody refers to that yeah yeah do you think it will ever come a point in time where it's like it's outdated that's it's no longer relevant it's amazing how still appropriate it is yeah, I mean, I'd hope to think that people would still learn from that. They're pretty basic. You know, it's, it, you know the best books are, are things that you kind of know already, but you've got to keep, you know, it's just put in context, it's put in practical context so that you can learn from it. Mm. Just don't overcomplicate things. Leadership books don't need to be complicated. I think perhaps where that book's lacking, and it's a while since I've read it, is people really like a story now. They kind of like to get to know the author, and it's the story leadership books that, and I'm not talking about, Patrick Lencioni type allegories. Um, but it's things like one of my favorite books recently has been Shoe Dog about the Nike story. Absolutely love that book. It's just told from the founder of Nike through his and um, just absolutely brilliant book. Um, and the other book that I've really enjoyed recently is um, Can't Hurt Me. Have you read that? By David Goggins. David Goggins. He's I crazy. Absolutely love that book. Yeah. <laughs> read the book before you start following him because he doesn't make sense if you no. haven't read the book. But if you read the book, he's just yeah. I loved his book. It was yeah. So motivating. Yeah, he's got this concept of callous your mind, so you know, build some grit around how you. Yeah. Yeah, resilience essentially around how yeah. you kind of manage things. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. So I um I love to say that I've read all these books, um, but most of the books that I consume now are done through audio. Yeah. Um, are you an audio book consumer, or are you you just like the page turners? No, I'm a reader, a book reader rather than an online reader. So I don't read eBooks. I don't listen to audio. I do listen to podcasts in the car. Um, but even when I'm out walking and exercising, I don't take the headphones. I like to kind of have that out, the outdoor noises. So I'm not an audiobook person. Um, but they're getting more and more popular and we're going to start adapting more of our books to audio next year. That's part of our strategy next year. Because mm. I know people do love them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, love, I love being able to sit down and, and turn pages. It is unfortunately one of those activities that comes with uh, a lot of interruptions and distractions in my household the minute the minute I sit down it's like my lap is this (laughs) play (laughs) center for my children to come and come and enjoy and so I um, I consume a lot of the books um, that um, I have access to via audible and uh, while I'm walking and away from the children or with the volume up so high I can't actually hear But it's a great way. It's and I and I really enjoy um, hearing. I agree with you on the the story. Really enjoy hearing um, the the challenges and the obstacles that were overcome. Even just the experiences that the authors yeah. come up with. But your book yourself included a lot of your own story. I think it's very important. That's I think that's the point of difference to a lot of leadership books. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And not just um, you know the fun things that I learned, but particularly. Yeah falling flat on my face and being able to pick myself up again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what people want. Okay, I've got one last question for you. It's metaphorical. It's got to do with food. Um, if leadership was a dish or a food, what would it be? Uh, okay, so I'm just immediately, the first thing that came into my head was spaghetti <laughs> because kind of everybody likes it. It's a dish that you can share. It's pretty basic. 
um, yeah, that works. Excellent. What's your what's your go to sauce? I would do a bolognese. Nice bolognese sauce, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easy. In interesting that spaghetti can taste great with all different kinds of sauces. Yeah, I think yeah, that's the yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I guess I want to um, extend a big thank you to you for being my publisher. You're the first person I've. Uh, your major street is the first. Um, publishing house that has dealt with Shelley Flett. Um, and so thank you for um, you know, taking on my story and working through it with me. It was an absolute pleasure. It was a actually a really fun experience, which I did not expect. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I was all geared up to go, this is going to be hard. I'm going to hate this. I'm going to hate the process. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. And uh, you know, for anyone who, who is thinking about um, getting their book published and fits into the, um, the business world um i would recommend having a conversation with leslie and and yeah just exploring the opportunity to work together because i really did enjoy enjoy it so thank you thanks Shelley. we loved working with you as well you were a model author you absolutely were <laughs> would i have got an a i don't think i've ever got yeah. an a before but <laughs> yeah, i think you would have got an a yeah you're on time yeah easy to work with yeah yeah right. excellent fabulous so uh, for all of our listeners, if you want to connect with Leslie, I'll put her LinkedIn um, connection link in the um, comments so you can connect with her uh, or you can go to Magistrate Publishing. Is it dot com? Dot com dot au. Magistrate Publishing dot com dot au. It's put... actually Magistrate dot com dot au. Oh, sorry, yeah. Magistrate dot com dot au. Um, I'll also put the um, links into those books that you mentioned as well for those who want to continue to learn. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break um, and then um, come back with another season of the Dynamic Leader podcast. Um, and I'm still working out what that's going to look like, but stay tuned. Um, there will be some interesting stories that come up. Uh, but thank you everyone for listening so far. Leslie, again, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Dynamic Leader Podcast. I hope you found some value in it. My biggest mantra in life is to pay it forward. As a leader, you have your own unique experience and this could make a huge difference to someone else. So I encourage you to tell your leadership story, your failures and your successes, along with what you've learned along the way. Let's make the leadership playground safe enough for leaders to fall and get back up again. By the way, if you have a leadership story that is worth telling, I'd love to hear from you and even have you on one of my podcasts. So drop me a note and let's have a conversation. Thanks so much for listening.